Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another fabulous edition of Eastern Approaches podcast, the best and probably only podcast for Central and Eastern Europe. This is Andrew Vallone. Uh, glad you could join us. Uh, I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you did not get super offended by our previous episode where we're talking about the stereotypes that kind of stick because they're true to some extent. So that's good. But hey, uh, if you were offended or any comments, whatever, we always appreciate some feedback. So please give us some feedback on, on Facebook. Uh, today will be a little bit more positive because we're actually going to talk about like traveling because now that's a much more realistic possibility. So today's episode, we're going to discuss some places that are normally crowded uh, that probably for the next few years won't be. And some of that's just because obviously tourism won't pick up to what the pre-pandemic levels for probably for more than even two years, but also some because of cruise ships stopping or cruise ships being very limited. So Ben and I are going to have some picks for those crowded places that you should check out in the next couple of years because you'll have uh, not be rubbing elbows as much with everyone. And then we'll have some picks for some more off the beaten path places that you should uh, consider uh checking out on your upcoming travels. So I'll hand it over to Ben and he'll start with his set of picks. Thank you, good sir. Hi, boys and girls, and everyone who doesn't identify as either one of those two. We're inclusive here at Eastern Approaches. All, all people are welcome, regardless of pronouns. Um, speaking of which, I'm switching mine today. Today, today I'm a they. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Ben Curtis, BenjaminCurtis.me is where you can find all of my pronouns and everything else. And yeah, I think this is a great topic because like travel dreams are returning. Uh, it's, it's possible even for the summer of 2021, but then looking forward even further out, like uh, where should you go? Where's our inside tips on places in our part of the world that we kind of recommend? Um, especially given uh, this is a great opportunity to hit places that might otherwise be overrun. And my first recommendation is absolutely one of those. It's a place that can be a theme park. And I know that in 2019, uh, there were parts of this city that were a theme park. And it's not so great when it's a theme park, but it is a great, great place. And um, because tourism is so down and will be down, you know, won't be 2019 levels, hopefully, I mean, for a long while, maybe, that it's a great opportunity to visit. And that is the city where I live, Prague. So just the other day, I was at Prague Castle, which has been closed for months. Um, but I was just wandering around there. It was a weekday, kind of mid-morning, and it was crazy because in the entire complex, this huge, it's the largest ancient castle in the world, according to Guinness Book of World Records, in the entire complex, I saw two other people who were just wanderers. There was a kind of military staff and the other sort of official and security people there, but I only saw two other people just wandering around. And if you have been to the Prague Castle District in a in high tourist season, I don't know, maybe you can't even imagine how crazy that is. Like there's only two people here because often it can just be just mobbed, right? So um, I cannot urge people strongly enough, like if you have not been to Prague, it would be a great idea to come here frankly, as soon as possible, because tourism is going to pick up again, and the mobs will probably eventually be back, and the theme park atmosphere will be back. But the city is, you know, as of June, I would say, you know, we're recording this in May, but as of June, the city is going to be ready to uh, take in tourists, and people are going to start coming back, and you can have this incredible fairy tale place, if not exactly to yourself, um, for sure, without thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Instagramming, you know, tourists eating their or on their Prague beer tours and all the kind of other worst stereotypes about Prague tourism. So I really, I cannot emphasize strongly enough that the near future is a great time 
to come to one of the most beautiful cities in Europe, which often can be overrun, but is going to be like, like just fantastic in the near future. So Ben, have you like walked down the Charles Bridge like and extend both of your arms as far as they could extend and not like decapitate anyone? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is a little eerie in some ways, like, uh, you know, Old Town Square, it's, that's more busy with, with locals, but like just parts of the city that would totally be super busy with tourists, ain't nobody there. And, and it's pleasant. I mean, the circus atmosphere sometimes has its advantages and you, there's stuff that's closed, you know, like some like restaurants and some shops that are still haven't reopened, but, but museums and most of the sites are now open so you can you can enjoy them and and not have to um squeeze through the gauntlet of buskers and vendors and tourists on charles bridge what about uh, anyone doing music there uh or those people like either not a lot well i'm assuming they're not not allowed but um have any of them come back to you know just the usual kind of uh uh, live music or things just mm. around the town? Yeah, that stuff is supposed to be able to start very soon. So I mm. think as of June, that scene will be, you know, uh, getting up and running again. So, you know, the it's like it the city won't be 100% for with all the attractions, you know, all the like, I don't know what, musical events and concerts and theater and plays and that stuff, kind of thing for a couple months. But it's going to be... I don't know, 80, 90% in another month. Yeah. Well, and that's great because there'll probably be, you know, there'll be more than enough stuff open for people. But th- let's face it, I mean, one of the, the type of places that are probably going to be closed for, for a while longer are usually these kind of cookie cutter only for tourist mm. eateries where you have the waiter or some person out there with the menu trying to flag you down to come to eat like hey we've got everything we got like the goulash bread dumplings but we have pizza and we got uh, calamari even though we're not next to the sea and we've got all we got yeah. like 500 other 500 other things and nothing's great but you know uh, and we're overpriced uh, mm. and we have the same menu as these other three places on the same on the main square but yeah those places you know it's like that actually might be a blessing it's like well then you won't get fooled into maybe sitting down at one of those places you'll 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 maybe go to a place that's open that would be open for locals because locals are already there so they don't need to wait for the their clientele to come back yeah totally i mean this this is what it's going to be is that as these um, restaurants and kind of the beer gardens and everything open up, um, you're going to be sitting at a table next to not uh, a bunch of people from Brazil or whatever, you know, China or Canada, but you're going to be sitting next to Czechs at the next table. And that's, that's great that the locals kind of get their city back, but they're going to be sharing it in more, I don't know what, reasonable or sustainable numbers uh, for the next year or so, I think, with the travelers who do come here. Yeah, and then we'll see what happens. Like if if uh, the, the, the locals and the businesses like that, then maybe they'll do a rethink on some stuff like Airbnb or what mm-hmm. have you, or perhaps the tourism board will do rethinks as well as far as, although Prague, Prague is definitely a 12-month a year-round yeah. destination, um, but some other, uh, but but still, I mean, obviously, you 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 do you you have a a large chunk of time, maybe five months, where you've got so many people. So maybe they might think of trying to you know find more ways to get some of those people to come off season by offering various things or or arranging certain events and stuff like that uh, when people see that you know how how, that it's just i mean it's a better it's like a better package for for any tourist Mm -hmm. to get is is going to be this rather than um you know what it's been for i don't know more than 10 years probably a couple probably two decades of Mm. (laughs) yeah totally and then i guess and the last thing i'd say is that you know i don't remember the exact statistic but there's some statistic about how 80% 80% of people who come to the Czech Republic, of tourists who come to the Czech Republic, only see Prague, um, which is a shame because there is so much more to see around here. And so you, if you are thinking of coming in the next you know, couple months or year, and you're maybe a little worried about crossing borders, you don't really need to be because you can happily spend a week just in the Czech Republic seeing amazing stuff. So 
you know, you can minimize border hopping, enjoy a couple nights in Prague, and then see all the other amazing little um, Renaissance and Baroque and medieval towns and beautiful landscapes of the Czech Republic. So, so Prague is not the only like uh, great part of the package here. Um, having it to yourself, like you can um, in loop in the bunch of the rest of the country in there and have a, an easy and fun holiday where you're not going to have to share with loads and loads of other tourists. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me if, it, if, if the number is 80%, cause I think, I think, I think uh, Czech and Hungary have kind of the same, you know, pr- you know, problem I'd call it mm-hmm. a problem is that you get just concentrated everyone in in one place. I mean, it's more of an issue in Prague because Budapest is more spread out. But just the fact that like all these people, you know, the amount of tourists that come to Prague and Budapest normally, and like yet they're not, you know, they're not, they're not visiting all these other places or putting in, you know, any money into the local economy outside mm-hmm. of those two main cities. I'm guessing those two countries might are, would be disproportionate to most other countries in Europe, I think as far as, you know, people only going to see capital city. So, and I think that, yeah, if people are going to not want to travel as much, whether that's because, you know, not taking trains everywhere or getting another flight or just dealing with other border issues and we'll have to see how things shake out with green passports and other stuff. But uh, yeah, there's plenty of things, plenty of things to do there. And since you've already converted your dollars or euros or pounds into check into uh, check crowns, then you know, then you don't have to like, well, we, we got to leave and we got to let's go out and, and buy a bunch of tchotchke mm-hmm. shit just to get rid of our money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just... We didn't really want to put all this check crystal in our in our carry on bags. But you know, we got to spend those crowns. So we're going to do it. No, exactly. Um, so what's your, um, I don't know that Prague is necessarily my top recommendation, but I would certainly put it near the top of the list. What would be, what would you launch us off with as kind of um, get there while the getting is good kind of destination? Yes. Well, uh, I'm going to go with Dalmatia in Croatia because, mm-hmm. you know, every year, every year it's up until last year, it seemed like tourism season started earlier and earlier. Uh, where I was, you know, and sometimes the weather is great. So I've gone late, late March, even and first part of April, just to avoid, (laughs) just to avoid the onslaught that's coming. And it's not only Dubrovnik or Split, let's Mm -hmm. say. Um, But a couple things, one, the obvious thing of cruise ships, either not running or very little, actually, I believe there's, um, starting in July, there's Viking is going to have some kind of Malta, to up to Montenegro and Dalmatia and back things, which um, is they've, I think they've added like 11 cruises this summer for it. But I mean, there's going to be very little, I mean, that would be minuscule compared to what, what normally has been going on. So one, you, you get, you missed a cruise ship uh, people, which all of a sudden just clogs everything up for this four or five hour window. Um, and also like we talked about with the pro with the center of Prague, activates all these cookie cutter places that just are Mm -hmm. selling the same crap so you might actually like wander a little bit more and find something new but the other thing too is it's going to take a while for all the low-cost flights to come back in some of them Mm -hmm. will come in and i think the amount of people on those flights will be less as well certainly i think at least this um this summer so that that will um that will make uh dalmatia um let's say you could get you can get the you can enjoy the summer weather without enjoying without you know while avoiding all the stuff that normally i would say hey from middle of june to almost the end of august you want to avoid this and um you know you you'll 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 have the place more to yourself than probably in the last 10 years or so and it's actually open i mean that's like one thing we know for sure uh is that hey croatia right now is open to americans you know you can, and they have many options vax certificate or pcr or rapid antigen test or even you know the i've had covid in the last six months type of thing so um so there's there's a lot to see um i've been checking ferry schedules and other things because i'm going to be traveling there uh in a couple of weeks and ferry schedules are normal i mean that's one of those things like hey if if things are open you know it's open and it's great you know you've got great weather but hey can i still get around bus schedules looking like normal bus schedules um, ferry schedules uh, uh, running as as normal, which means like in 
June through September, you have extra ferries or certain lines that don't normally run the rest of the year, they're going to be there. Um, uh, so one thing that, uh, you know, if you if you want to see some islands, uh, just give a just give a, f- a few out um, that I like. One is Vis Island, which is the furthest island away from the coast. Um, that actually doesn't have mass tourism anyway, um, but it's certainly getting more and more on the radar for people. Um, you've got uh, amazing history there uh, from t- the 20th century with Tito and the Partisans and uh, things like that, and 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 ancient history as well. Um, but you've got you've got really great places to eat and drink at. That again, they're not set up for big groups. They're not set up for mass tourism. So there's a better chance that some of those are going to be open because the people who live on the island or Croatians themselves who want the their own little island vacation, that will be that should work out well. Uh, we have Brach Island, which is just one hour from Split, so that's the ferries. That's basically the epicenter for all ferries in Dalmatia. So you've got almost you've almost every hour uh, you have a, a car ferry uh, to to uh, Brach Island. Uh, and that has this famous, uh, I think we've mentioned it before, this Zlatny Rot, uh, Golden Tongue Beach that's on all these postcards and things like that, um, has great, uh, great wine, great uh, sheep cheese, has quite a few settlements, interesting settlements along the sea and in the interior as well. Uh, so that's, and there's also, there's, you know, I'm looking at lodgings too, Ben. So I realized, mm-hmm. hey, you know, there's enough places that are that are open as well, because it's obviously another another component. Um, so you've got places like that, um, and just looking at some some of the if you want to go a little bit more hoity toity, not hoity toity, but uh, you know, something really special. You've got some Michelin star restaurants. They've they've already opened up in Dalmatia. Those there's Boschkanats on the island of Pog. Um, and other ones I've checked and and they have fairly normal operating hours, although obviously with the caveat that right now it's it's outside only uh, dining. But hey, if you're going to go to Croatia in the summertime and it's and if it happens to still be outside only dining, then that shouldn't be a problem because the, that's a you know, the weather's fantastic. So um, uh, that's what I would I would consider. I, th- I think also with um, with some of the sailing you can do, uh, you probably could get book some sailing, you know, not super far in advance, because there's still plenty of, of people who've got different excursions and sailing to go on. And that's not going to be booked so far out in advance as it used to be. So there's probably going to be some options too, if you want to hire yourself a boat or do a, or do a day trip or even like a seven day kind of a sailing excursion, there's going to be, there should be some, some good offers out there for, Mm -hmm. for, for the whole Dalmatia. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned this because it was also right up there on my list. Like, um, everything from kind of split to south, basically. And for all the reasons you mentioned that, especially Dubrovnik and to a certain extent split can be overrun with cruise passengers in a like pre-pandemic tour season. And I mean, Dubrovnik, when there's three or four large cruise ships in town, is actually not pleasant, right? As, as amazing as that city is, it's just, it's not pleasant when you've got the, that many tourists there. But it is an absolutely amazing place. And I don't know if I've talked about this before on the podcast, but a few years ago, I was in Dubrovnik at the end of October um, doing some guidebook research. And it was at the very kind of end, not of the tourist season, because that sort of extends uh, for not the entire year in Dubrovnik, but it goes on. But it was the end of like 80% or 90% of the tourist season. And it was so great to see the Dubrovnik people taking their city back where the people sitting in the cafes on Svadun, the main street in the old town, were actually Croats, local people. And it made me appreciate Dubrovnik all over again when you you get to just wander those old stone streets and climb those staircases uh you know lined with houses up the mountainside and look at those incredible views and the people you're saying hello to are the locals like people who actually live there and it's not you know the cruise passengers who are there just for four hours and then they go get back on the boat um so dubrovnik it's easy to get to if you're coming from north america now like we're andrew and i were just talking about 
the uh, for this summer season of 2021, how there's going to be a couple direct flights from North America to Dubrovnik. So super easy. Um, and it's easy from Dubrovnik to like strike out uh, to see more of Dalmatia. And there's so much more to see there beyond Dubrovnik, just as Andrew was talking about, some super, super charming places. The weather will be good and, you know, happily good until the end of October. And then even in November, like, okay, you take your chances a little bit, but the bad weather is not that bad, right? I mean, you maybe can't swim so much anymore, but it's still going to be, you know, sunny and comfortable for the most part. So, um, you know, you don't even have to worry about a summer crush because you can have great, great time there in September and October. And another thing too, Ben, is, uh, you know, so many people, because there's so many, there's usually there's so many people in Dalmatia. And so in a big chunk of those do, does that kind of most our day trip in the mm -hmm. Bosnia, that most ours will be, you know, a play will be also more enjoyable in the, the summertime. It's still going to be hot as hell, probably. Mm -hmm. but, it, <laughs> but at least you won't be rubbing elbows with every single day tripper because it's such a it's such a big day tripper type of place that, you know, it's like go there and relax. I'm sure the locals will be a little bit more relaxed as well. So I think most are Bosnia will, will, will get, um, you know, that will, you know, the situation in Dalmatia and Croatia with the cruise ships will help most are as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I was going to say too, about like which islands, I mean, and where to go in Dalmatia. Um, one reason why I mentioned split South is because if, the tour season in or tourist season in 2021 looks kind of like sort of like what it did in 2020 because I was in Croatia for a chunk of the summer in 2020 and the thing we found there was uh, the northern bits of the coast so like Istria and then the Kvarner Gulf area actually got relatively busy not quite 2019 busy but they got much busier than farther south and the reason is because they're within easy driving distance of the population centers in like Germany, Austria, Czech Republic, where you get loads and loads of people who typically from Central Europe who come down to Croatia usually for their summer holidays. And you can easily drive to Istria and Kvarner Gulf from Germany, Austria, Czech Republic, even Poland, Hungary, that kind of stuff. And so that's where a lot of people went. Um, and I bet something like that will happen this year, which means Northern bits relatively busier than the southern bits you can certainly fly to the southern bits but you won't get as many i mean people are still going to be i think wary of getting on a plane and as andrew said some of the low-cost carriers won't be certainly their capacity won't be uh, in 2021 and what it was in 2019 so i think that um the the southern places from split south will be relatively less busy um and the, the one thing I would say in terms of like islands, like I wouldn't normally make this recommendation, but given what I expect to be a sort of still kind of manageable tour season, like I would even put Hvar on my list. Like if I were traveling around Dalmatia, I personally wouldn't spend much time in the old town of Hvar. The island, maybe you can do some, there's some nice spots there where you can day trip into the old town, but the old town of Hvar, kind of party, posh, capital that, you know, I always see these, like loads of British people, like young British people going there and just party, party, party DJs. And it's so expensive. It's like overpriced and that kind of stuff. I normally spend time there, but I think that this year, just because numbers are going to be down, like it wouldn't be a bad option because it is beautiful, right? It's super nice. There's good food there. Great scene, easy to get there also from splits. Um, so, you know, uh, Havar might belong on uh, even the more discerning um often off the beaten path travelers list for 2021 because i don't think the mass tourists will probably be as massing on far as in other summer seasons yeah i agree and especially if you don't have the amount of low-cost flights all back um until mm -hmm. later in the year uh if that then that'll cut down on some of the young brits that are coming mm -hmm. in and 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 and, uh, and hey they're not all brits but the, quite a few of them are mm -hmm. um uh and partying up and stuff yeah I, I was thinking of avar as well saying okay yeah now is a good time if you want to go to avar in the summer and not you know uh pay mm -hmm. you know ridiculous prices i had a uh 
friend from Slovenia who lives here in Koper and, and her and her family went to Havar for a week last year at the end of July. And I forgot what, what the, what the deal they got was, but it's not something you would normally get probably even in April or May, let alone July. Mm. So um, yeah, that could be a good value. And, and one last thing, cause we're kind of in the same area and talking about cruise ships is, you know, you just head South of Dubrovnik and you've got uh, Kotor Bay and Pirast in mm. that area of Montenegro. And that, will also benefit from not having the amount of cruise ships there um, and and probably other people as well. Uh, although, I mean, Montene- Montenegro, they, they, they got rid of their national airline. They started a new one. I think it's, it's going to, it's starting up this week with just like Belgrade, Ljubljana and maybe Zagreb or something like that. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, you probably, you might find, <laughs> if you go to Montenegro, you might find more of the Balkan, na- their Balkan neighbors hanging out there uh, and doing some travel there this summer than you will all the tourists. And, and Montenegro is, is gorgeous. Uh, so another place to take advantage of because of the uh, low numbers of cruise shippers. Totally. And then that absolutely um, dovetails with my, I, I guess, maybe last recommendation for, um, you know, get in while the getting's good kind of thing for the kind of next year tourism is the Greek islands. Um, because again, those places can have this totally theme park atmosphere like Santorini when the cruise ships turn up. Um, and I mean, I've been to Santorini on cruises and it's such a, I mean, in my opinion, it was such a kind of tragedy in that like that place is so unbelievably amazing. But when it's just, a, you know, thousands of cruise people unload and subject those poor donkeys to the climb up the kind of mountainside up to Sierra and the towns there on the top of the crater of Santorini. It's just like, ugh, this is so beautiful and so sad at the same time. And I bet that places like Santorini will be mostly just beautiful and not so sad with the kind of mass tourism this year. Um, So how do you do it, right? Like, okay, so there will, I'm sure, be some cruises happening, but the numbers will be way down. But it's super easy to island hop. I mean, that was the original thing that, that... you know, uh, independent tourists or travelers used to do in Greece is just island hop on the Greek ferry system. And it's not, I mean, the distances are a little bit bigger in most cases than with the Croatian islands, but it's still super easy. Uh, You can still connect some islands to each other and connect them with Athens or wherever you're trying to go. And it's, I mean, places that are famous and spectacular. I personally, I mean, I don't know the Greek islands in great, great detail, but I was of the ones that I've seen was so wowed by Rhodes. I would love to go back to Rhodes someday. It was just this incredible his, medieval historic um, fortress town and then, you know, amazing landscapes and beaches and fantastic weather. But then there's, you know, so many other places that you could hit on your Greek island visit. Um, and, you know, obviously the food is to die for, at least for me, because I love the, love the Greek food. Um, but uh, a kind of additional advantage besides fewer tourists, amazing weather, totally like top of the world sites is for North Americans. I think it's as of May 15th and we're recording this on the 11th of May. Um, but in May already, Greek is like open to North Americans. Greek, Greece says, come on. And I think you have to have your negative PCR test or you know vaccination certificate, or as Andrew said, proof that you've already had COVID. And like they're ready for you. So Greece, like Croatia, is open, and there's so much to see, and uh, it's easy to get around. And I think just the the numbers are going to be way down, which has the other effect, as Andrew kind of alluded earlier, that I think because these economies and these towns depend so much on tourism, they're actually going to be glad to see you. Um, in contrast to like 2019, where I mean I know plenty of of Croatian people that I know who work in tourism are like, okay, yes, of course, the visitors, we need them, but also it's just like, oh, the fatigue, especially at the end of the season. Um, And people can get it, the locals can get a bit jaded about tourists, but I bet if 2021 is kind of a, the first robust tour season or tourist season since 2019, I bet you'll find that uh, locals are glad to see you 
because you're bringing the money back in and you're kind of supporting livelihoods. So, um, you know, that's it's a great, great way to have a fantastic holiday and know that you're putting uh, money into local people's pockets who have had to really survive uh, a super rough patch the last say two years when you know, tourism is basically flatlined in some of these communities that live off of tourism. Yeah, Ben, and it's a good idea maybe just to think about, hey, you know, since everyone's had, uh, you know, little to no tourism money uh, for the last year and a half of thinking more about like, hey, can, how, can I put more money into the local economy or the local businesses? And neither one of us are, are much into the, hey, let's stay at some hotel chain or whatever. And now mm-hmm. is a good time if you're thinking of that, to like, no, you know, you know, look at, you know, maybe even check out, do a little research, see, you know, look for the places that I may, maybe more of the mom and pop type of places um, and uh, things like that, just to get an idea, just to figure out more ways that you can get your money into, into places where, you know, you could, you could make more of a difference. Um, And certainly, I mean, I don't know how it is in all countries. I know like in Hungary that certain, you know, hotels can, has, have gotten EU funds because now they could renovate Mm -hmm. when they're closed and, and some other things like that. But the family places, you know, they, they probably aren't getting this. So now would be a good time to maybe choose more wisely on where, where you're spending your money at. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I, I think that will be relatively easy to, to sort out because, you know, you can identify the chains. Uh, some of them, I mean, they'll, those places have, I don't know, they don't have bottomless resources, but I bet sometimes in some cases like the chains or the kind of corporate stuff will have survived, maybe sometimes more than mom and pop places. But, you know, you can... Uh, identify where the mom and pop places and where are the chains either when you're doing your internet research or i bet like the local tourist boards they all have websites and they can point you in the direction of the you know the b&b's the smaller scale places the kind of real local tourism i'm pretty sure that that's going to be a um, consistent theme for a lot of like um, national tourist boards also in the next year or three um, is to helping get the kind of smaller operators back on their feet. So I think that's a great idea to really, you know, spend your money where it's going to help the local people. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's switch gears to, you know, just picking some places uh, like we always like to highlight some places that are lesser known. So these are places that aren't super normally super busy anyway. uh, uh, Like uh, pre pandemic, but um, that are some good ideas too, because Hey, obviously, if you go to Prague or Split or Dubrovnik or whatever, going to be less people there, but there's going to be more people there than some other places. So mm-hmm. if you want your first trip back to Europe in the last couple of years to just be a little bit uh, more socially distant because <laughs> because you might have to look a, look a, a look for a while to find actually other tourists that are there, uh, I'm going to suggest. Uh, especially in summer through probably late September, early October is Baltic countries. I, I, I love those. And um, on our podcast before, we've talked probably about all three of the capital cities. And that's usually a, a route that people go and everything's well connected with bus. You don't actually have to fly anywhere. Uh, but I might suggest, okay, yeah, those the, the capital cities are, are fantastic and places like Tallinn in Estonia will probably be a better draw because like the rest of these Dalmatia uh, Adriatic places, they won't have the cruise ships in in full force either. So you could take advantage of that, but it would be, a uh, you know, so if you want to fly into or get into one of the big, bigger cities, and that's relatively speaking, because none of the capitals there are really that big, but then get out and actually, you know, kind of have, have your own space and just kind of go off the beaten track um, the Baltics are a great place, especially in summertime, because you're still fairly north. And in the Baltic Sea, there's a uh, uh, Sarima and Hiuma, which I'm probably mispronouncing. Two two Estonian islands that are that are fantastic, and their their window <laughs> their window for visitors is usually like June through probably end of September anyway. Um, but uh, those places have a, a rustic charm and you know, the, the biggest, the biggest town is still a pretty small town. 
uh, there. You've got some beautiful old windmills. You've got kind of windswept beaches and old lighthouses and just kind of more like more open spaces and, um, and golf too. I actually went there on a golfing hmm. fam trip once, Ben, even though I don't <laughs> golf, um, nice. which was great because you, I mean, I, you, you, I wouldn't know because I would just never even pay attention to golfing options there. Uh, but uh, Baltics are great for that actually, because they're pretty flat. I think the tallest hill is 400 meters or the hmm. tallest mountain. Um, you've got the Tartu, which is, we've, we've talked about that a few times on this podcast, which is the big university town, relatively speaking, again, big uh, for Estonia. Uh, that's next to this beautiful countryside, the uh, Setu region, which you, some of you will remember the podcast we did with our friend Helen. Uh, and that interesting kind of subculture they have there um, with these ethnic Setus. But that is a beautiful area with, with lakes and rivers and forests and small towns and, and culture. Um, that's just, that's kind of fantastic anytime. And um, probably you could see it's authentic, but it's probably even more authentic now with, with the fact that no one's there. Um, and then uh, I know with um, with uh, Latvia, you've got definitely some some interesting castles to see, um, and you've got a um, beaches on the Baltic Sea that you can get on public transport from from Riga, and in Lithuania, you've got uh, this. Um, what is it, Coronian, Coronian Spit, the little narrow piece of land right off of, um, uh, that's right off of the coast of Lithuania, where, where part, of, part of it is actually belongs to Russia, which, belo or I mean, belongs to Kaliningrad, which is, which is Russian territory. But there's, um, uh, that's, that's an interesting area too. Um, uh, and, and all those places too in Lithuania, because I've traveled a little bit more in the countryside there, um, it's easy to drive around, uh, but there's also bus options too. But you do have some very pretty spots and some small towns of interest, the Hill of Crosses um, and other things to see. So I think you can, you know, you can, if you want to just go out on your own, get a car and, and uh spend probably 10 days, two weeks, you can in three countries see amazing, amazing things um, and really kind of get away from it all. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe start and end in one of the, uh, you know, in a different capital. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you recommended the Baltics for this because that was on my list too, that um, it's so easy to connect to the three um, and both the capital cities and some of the provincial towns are so charming and just under-touristed in general with the possible exception of Tallinn and the cruise ships. But, you know, as we've talked about, Riga and Vilnius are like, super, I think they're beautiful and interesting and, and you know, um, really characterful, but just almost entirely overlooked, especially by North American tour travelers. So, um, so yeah, I absolutely agree. I would be totally confident in saying that anybody who, say, spent... 10 days, two weeks in the Baltics as kind of your uh, first European vacation after the pandemic, you'd be absolutely happy with it because they do have so much to offer. Um, and it's, you know, they're easy to get around, like I said, and you don't, you know, you won't miss not being in Paris. Um, not Riga, Vilnius or Tallinn, none of them are Paris, but that's like good and bad. So, um, so you would not feel cheated at all by uh, making that destination kind of a, a, a priority for pandemic recovery uh, European trips. Um, my thought along those lines, first of all, I was thinking like, okay, where, where would be my off the beaten path recommendation? And I mean, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that Andrew and I have a pretty expansive love for some of the I don't know, call it grittier, more Eastern places, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's Georgia or Armenia, something like that, that all those places have, have their charms and we love a lot about them. However, I didn't, I didn't want to recommend any of those on this particular topic because I was thinking, okay, in the next year, if you're coming from overseas for like a European vacation, I would probably prioritize the places where 
I was a bit more confident that, okay, their government slash health system kind of was on top of things. I mean, you'd be vaccinated, presumably, if you came across the ocean, so wouldn't have as much to worry about. But if something, if you need, if there were something to worry about, like the places that have their act together a little bit more um, are places where I'd have a bit more confidence. Same like with Turkey, like Turkey will be fine. But as I, you know, spent uh, three and a half months on lockdown in Turkey there in 2020, it's nicer to go somewhere where maybe if you need to speak English, you're going to find people who speak English and the government is closer to being democratic and all this other kind of stuff. So these, those are some of my criteria. Um, and that's why the places that I thought of were also in the European Union. Um, and so I, my, I don't know if it's again my top, but the, the recommendation that I had, if I were wanting to get off the beaten path for European vacation, as tourism ramps back up in the pandemic, is I'd probably do a driving tour of Transylvania. Like, mm -hmm. go to Romania, you got to fly into Bucharest. You know, you do your, you do two nights in Bucharest max. I'm not a fan of Bucharest, but then, then hightail to Brasov, which is the largest city. Um, or actually, I don't know if Cluj is actually larger than Brasov. But Brasov Cl Cluj is larger, yeah. It's larger, yeah. But, um, but Brasov, but Brasov is kind of, yeah, where you start anyway. And rent a car. Um, and there's, so much to see in Transylvania. I mean, these amazing medieval historic towns, some of which haven't changed very much their look from 1500, you know, Sibiu, I, I love, Brasov itself is super charming. Of course, Sigishawada, which is more twee and kind of touristy, but it's not gonna be that touristy for the next year. Cause that's sort of, you know, there's these Dracula associations and it's, it's kind of, um, more famous than some of the other places and has a bit more touristy schlock than some of the other places, but that's not going to be a thing for the next year plus. So there's super nice towns. There's just absolutely amazing scenery with the Carpathian mountains. So if you are a hiker, like the hiking is just stupendous. Even if you're not so much a hiker, but you like to gawk, like there's some mountain drives there that are some of the most amazing mountain drives. Certainly. Faragash. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of stuff, which are which are on the short list of most amazing alpine drives anywhere in Europe. Um, and there's really charming, like rural culture stuff that you don't find it in the same way farther west in Europe. And we were talking about this on our last podcast. And actually, it was it was Andrew and Cameron who were talking about the Matamuresh region up north, which is not technically Transylvania, but accessible from there. Um, and that, which I haven't been to, but now that's one reason why I'm recommending Romania is like you can attach it to um, a trip, seeing the highlights of Transylvania with all the mountains and, and cute towns and go see this absolutely unique um, like rural culture and these uh, amazing painted monasteries and that kind of stuff in northern Romania. And the... One of the things about, you know, the like flatlining of tourism over the last year and a half is that, yeah, it's hurt a lot of places, but for some of the, like, especially the rural um, destinations, like in Romania, but also maybe elsewhere, that um, tourism was never that much of a lifeblood that, it, like, there's anything to come back from, I think. that So if you head up to Matamura, sure, they will have been hurting, and I'm sure they got basically no tourists last year but as soon as you turn up there's going to be ready there's going to be people ready to serve you a nice meal or to you know push you up in their bnb or to whatever uh guide you around the um painted churches or something like that because that's just the nature of the economy in these places is that probably nobody or very few people there live just from tourism so it might be something they do on top of whatever else they do but that means that uh, when tourism is back, um, they're going to be they're going to be ready for you. It's, it's not like because the you know it's not like that job went away and then they had to become a full time something else. You know, they, I think that uh, I think I'm, that it's true that uh, in a lot of cases that um, those people that whoever kind of provide the tourist services will be able to ramp up uh, and kind of get back to where they were 
relatively quickly. So um, though it might not be uh, for many North Americans, top of the list, oh yeah, Transylvania, right? Like, uh, sure, Dracula and what else is there? But there's so much else there. Um, you're not gonna have to share it with any crowds whatsoever. And you can have experiences there that you just can't really have almost anywhere else in Europe. Totally memorable and um, unforgettable experiences that would also make a fantastic um, kind of first post-pandemic European holiday. Agreed. And you don't if, even if you don't want to, you know, drive the if you're like, I don't want to drive in Europe. Oh, okay, that's fine. You know, with buses and train systems, it's so easy, you know, getting out of Bucharest to get to Brasov or stopping even in uh, uh, Sinai to see the Pelish mm -hmm. uh, castle, which might be, you know, which is one of there's so many castle great castles to see. That's one of them. Although I think technically it's right at the border before Transylvania, but we'll count mm -hmm. it because it's on the way in. But yeah, you can get around really easy because most of that's what I do most of the time with the with the transport. Um, and you've got all these like fort called fortified churches, which are almost like like mini fortresses uh, in a small town where you got the church and some other buildings inside there. Um, and I think you're right, Ben, with the uh, with because a place like Romania and some other places in kind of east southeast europe that don't have such a big uh gdp on tourism that yeah you probably you know the family businesses like you know that a lot of places that or, or restaurants or things like that like they're going to be in business still because you know plenty of romanians are eating there it's mm -hmm. not like hey we set up all these restaurants in brashov just for the tourists it probably those will be those will be there and that you're right they won't have an issue because that could be that could be a problem uh in places that have a lot you know that have a greater um reliance on tourism is all those people you know they can't wait around a year and a half so uh, one can you get people to work there or two can you get people who are actually good because let's face it it's not like um let's say dalmatia is the is the beacon light of uh of awesome customer service so maybe they're like well whoever's got a pulse and can mm -hmm. needs a job can, can get here and who knows how that'll work out um and and so places like montenegro they were already because when you have only seven hundred thousand people and your tourism is rapidly expanding like it has been for the last i don't know five to ten years yeah, you know, they they needed people from Serbia and other nearby countries to work in their in in their service uh, and tourism sector. So I don't exactly know how all that will play out because some of those people probably have gone followed the money or the the more reliable job. So, um, but I think it'll be I think it'll be okay because there'll be because there won't be so many people. There'll be enough places that are open, and I think always a rule would apply like, hey, if. If there's a place that's only open, that's mainly reliant on locals, that probably should survive. And those are the places you usually would want to frequent anyway. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it'll be interesting to see. Like, I mean, I I think in terms of um, this recovery and like places where it'll be ready for tourists, I think as some of my friends in Prague who work in tourism and that like most of them have other jobs now, not to say they won't perhaps go back to tourism um, when it's fully up and running. But the, my friends, none of them are assuming that's going to happen in 2021. So maybe 2022. But then for anybody who's listening, that's exactly the connection that Andrew just made is that, you know, uh, in, in kind of ramping back up to receive tourists, um, there's, there's some like jobs and businesses and stuff that are going to be gone in some places that are going to have a harder time ramping up. And actually in a weird way, sometimes some of the places that are, that might have a harder time ramping up are the ones that depend more from tourism. Um, that's, you know, wherever the businesses survived, can they get people to actually work those jobs? So it's, that might actually be an argument to go to the places where they depend less on tourism for your next European holiday, because those places will possibly might bounce back quicker because they didn't have as far to fall. Exactly. And another thing to keep an eye on, because I don't exactly know how it'll play out, you know, in some ways you could say, oh, it's definitely a buyer's or renter's market for lodging because there's there was already too many places 
to, to stay between hotels and apartments, Airbnb, Booking.com, all this stuff. Um, and so you'd think like, oh, okay, well now there's, there's not as many travelers and there's all these people who have these various, whatever hotel business or private rooms or whatever you think, well, there's going to be an abundance of choices, but I know like, at least in Slovenia, a lot of those places, um, people who have a uh, Airbnb, I'm going to rent it out to students or long-term rentals. Mm-hmm. And even some of the hotels, I think the Union Hotel in Ljubljana, one of the mainstays for, excuse me, four-star hotel in, um, in Ljubljana, uh, they've got, I don't know if, if it's half, but a good portion of their hotel is, is now longer-term rentals. Mm-hmm. So it's something to keep an eye on. But that said, just because, just because of, um, you know, the fact that, the, what I would expect is very low numbers uh, for, for the rest of this year. Uh, you still should get you still should get a pretty good uh, choice because obviously some places aren't going to have businesses or students or let's say long term locals or long term long term expats to rent out to. So uh, if they have an Airbnb, it's still going to be available for the travelers that come to their small town. Yeah. All right. So that is our expert shortlist for places in Central and Eastern Europe that we think would make a great trip for 2021, even into 2022, if you are, I don't know, contemplating a European trip. And if you are, I say do it because you're going to, you're going to be vaccinated. Places are ready, going to be ready for you. If you're going to one of the places we recommended, and I think you'll be if you're hesitant, I think you'll be so glad if you came, because as we were saying at the beginning, uh, it's a chance to see some places like you will never see them again, because the tourism numbers are going to be so down. So that's my my encouragement, my kick in the pants. Come now. It, you'll have a great time. It'll be safe. It'll be worth it. So I hope you enjoyed these recommendations, and I hope to see you over here sometime soon. All right, Ben, and I'll just I'll echo that just a little bit by saying, uh, you know, if you're, you know, some people like I don't want to travel until it's, you know, everything's as, as safe as safe can be, or whatever, you know, hey, if you think you're going to be uncomfortable, then obviously, I would say then don't don't, don't come because you, you don't want to you don't want to spend your whole time, you know, in kind of worry mode here. Or feeling, you know, that uh, you know you're you're upsetting the the apple cart. Uh, but I will ask this for people who think that way: um, that's fine. I'm fine if you if you don't if you don't want to come now. If you want to wait until everything is almost back to normal, uh, I just don't need any of the judgment from people who are like, no, we all we none of us can travel until all of us can travel, or none of us can mm-hmm. should be traveling until you know whatever whatever you know things like ben anything ben and i do with with regards to travel even really recommending travel is always like yeah we're going to follow whatever rules there are so if these are the rules for being vaccinated or tested or whatever you know that's 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 what we're going to follow and if there's Mm -hmm. things that you can't do or places you can't go or you have to definitely be vaccinated and nothing else will do you know then you know please you know respect those rules and don't don't show up with the fake test because that's happened in Slovenia with uh, certain neighboring uh, countries. Really? Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but um, you know, it's it's everyone's personal choice. Let's just say that. Uh, and um, if you've got the travel bug and you know and you want to come, there's definitely people here. You know, who us working in the travel business, they we know there's plenty of people who need that money. And if you want to come in have a great time and obey the rules and put some money in the local economy, then, then I think you'll be appreciated by the vast majority of the locals here. Yep. Thanks for listening, everybody. And until next time, get vaccinated and hope to see you on this side of the Atlantic.